Truth News Network. When the fix is in, you know it. What you don't know is when the fix went in. A government built on corruption doesn't form out of thin air. It takes a long time to form, takes a long time to get here, and what you see is only 10% of it. Corruption is built on lies, and to see the depth, you need a lot of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to reveal that iceberg is Dan Newman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday edition of TNN Live, produced and brought to you by Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. We're thankful you joined us today, actually thankful that you join us every day to uh, participate with us at uh, pulling back the covers off of all of the hidden things in Washington and elsewhere in the, the nation and the world that are very important to all of us. And there are many of those things. And just when we feel like we've got our arms around all or most of it, we find out there's more that we didn't know about. And so we're glad that comes out. It obviously makes an appearance so that we can claw into it and find out the truths of all those very important things. We have many things to talk about today. Folks, let me just tell you this. I watched and listened to one of the most controversial, uh, loud, hectic, back-and-forth hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee that I've ever seen yesterday. It was incredible. Uh, It even rivaled that, those uh, hearings for the confirmation of now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And they were really, really bad. Yesterday, Attorney General Merrick Garland He squirmed for about four and a half hours because of the questions he was being grilled with. And I use the term grill because there were some Republican senators that really turned the heat up hot on the attorney general and would not be satisfied by the politically correct and the normal evasive answers given most of the time by attorneys general when they testify before Congress. We're we're going to listen to two. I'm going to let you hear two of those Q&As, one with um, Josh Hawley, Senator from Missouri, and the other with Texas Senator Ted Cruz that were especially very on point. Tom Cotton from Arkansas, he was a third, but I, uh, I specifically want you to hear Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. Because I want you to get the sense and the feel of what it's like when you have elected representatives that are in Congress and they're faced with somebody in the administration that just really doesn't want to answer questions, even though one of the biggest responsibilities of Congress is to hold elected officials, all elected officials, accountable for doing their jobs. Novel idea, Attorney General needs to do his or her job, whoever that may be at the time. So in just a moment, we're going to uh, dig into that. You don't want to miss either one of them. We're not editing them. They're they're here in their entirety for you to listen to, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. But guess what just happened minutes ago in Washington? President Biden went to Capitol Hill, and he went to his caucus, the Democrat caucus in Congress, and they got together, and guess what he did? He announced his official 
$1.75 trillion Build Back Better proposal. Wow. Didn't that just make you feel better? What's in the stinking thing? Well, I can tell you what. It is so big and is full of so much, there's no way we can, we could spend all day today, all day tomorrow, all day on Saturday and Sunday talking about the elements in the bill, and we still wouldn't get finished. Over 2,000 pages. But what we do have is something of a synopsis, at least with the things that uh, have been taken out of the monstrous $2.5 trillion. <laughs> not that $1.75 trillion is not monstrous in itself, but not quite as bad as 2.5. So there's no official deal that's been reached yet. Make that very clear. Uh, he went to Capitol Hill this morning, and uh, he handed him a new proposal. The president believes that this framework he gave to those Democrats today is going to earn support of all 50 Democratic senators and will pass in the House. That's what their fingers are crossed for. So, the cost is a bit closer to what Democratic West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, one of the moderates, the two moderates in the White House, uh, needs on board. The White House needs on board. Him and uh, Kristen Cinema from Arizona are really probably the only two moderates in the Senate now. Here's what the plan includes. Investments. And I hate when they use that term, investments. You don't borrow money from someone and spend it on something else and say that you're investing money in anything. You're borrowing money that you're spending. Who are they borrowing the money from? The government, from you and me, tax dollars. They don't own that money. That's not their money. That's our money. And I can bet you, Bippy, this. I don't need anybody in Congress to invest any of my money for me. I can do that a whole lot better than they can. Anyway. It includes investments in child care, investments in children overall, efforts to combat climate change, and expansion of the affordable health care coverage, and more. Still, the proposal drops some of the big original key ideas pushed by Biden, like um, his plan to address the cost of prescription drugs. Officials have continued to claim that his agenda will be fully paid for, I, I, I cannot even fathom anybody in Congress having the unmitigated gall to tell Americans that any spending bill is on its own, without tax dollars, is going to pay for itself. But they still claim that. But the Washington Post fact-checked those comments and called them misleading. Didn't say a lie, but misleading back in September. Officials say the plan will not raise taxes on the small businesses and the individuals who make less than 400000 a year, something that Biden has been vocally opposed to doing throughout his entire process. Instead, there's going to be a 15% corporate minimum tax on big corporations and a 1% surcharge on corporate stock buybacks. The administration will also impose a global minimum tax and implement a new surtax on multimillionaires and billionaires. And we're going to get into that plan later in the show. Remember that one, the multimillionaire-billionaire tax thing. 
Biden has long pushed for having higher earners pay more, saying in May that they should start paying their fair share. It's entirely paid for by rewarding work, not wealth, and ensuring that the super wealthy and corporations pay their fair share and can't cheat every honest American on their tax bills. That's what one official in the White House says. So Biden's multifaceted plan, it includes universal preschool for all three- and four-year-olds. And this, they say, is fully funded for six years under Biden's Build Back Better agenda. As for child care, the proposal aims to limit the cost for families to no more than 7% of their income for those earning up to 250% of the state median income. The plan for child care includes a provision and would also be funded for six years. In order to be eligible, parents got to be working, looking for work, participating in training or dealing with a serious health injury. Officials explained and went into details with that. We won't. It also expands the currently enhanced child tax credit included in the America Rescue Plan, and that's for households earning up to $150,000 per year for one year. It includes a $555 billion, here we go again, investment in clean energy and combating climate change, making it significant focus of the social spending bill. The plan has $320 billion for clean energy tax credits, $105 billion in investment to address extreme weather across America. Yeah, here's what. You give me um, not $105 billion, you give me $10 billion, and I'll open up the communication lines between Earth, Mother Nature, slash God, so they can converse about extreme weather. $105 billion to address extreme weather. $110 billion more in investments for clean energy and supply chains, as well as $20 billion to incentivize the government to buy clean energy technologies. I can't believe that. They actually, with a straight face, put that in there. Listen to this term, this sentence. $20 billion towards incentivizing the government to buy clean energy technology. Incentivizing the government. Novel idea. Hey, we'll write you a $20 billion check. Here's what you spend it on, guys. <laughs> We're not going to incentivize you. You do it or you're fired. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Biden's made climate change his big priority and not reaching an official deal to help combat it before he heads to Europe. It would be embarrassing for the president. He is headed to Europe tomorrow, by the way. He's noted that getting a deal done before the trip is important, telling everybody that doing so would be very, very positive. I want them to really like me overseas, and I've got to say we're spending money on climate change. You know that panacea that utopia in the sky that nobody knows anything about, but it's kind of like it just feels good, and we need to spend more money than anybody else. And we're going to try to get China and India to cooperate with us, the biggest polluters on the planet, but we're going to take care of their part for a while. That's exactly what this is about. 
He is proposing extending Obamacare's premium tax credits through 2025, having Medicare cover the cost of hearing for seniors. It leaves out expanding Medicare for vision and dental, which is something Democrat Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders had pushed for. As for housing, Biden wants $150 billion to go towards initiatives like making housing more affordable, building more rental units, helping with down payments in public housing. It calls for a one-year extension on the current earned income tax credit for those without children, as well as putting money towards equity, which is described as including community violence efforts and making the supply chain more resilience. Biden also cut out a piece of the proposal to increase funding for historically black colleges in the Pell Grant. In total, the proposal puts $400 billion towards child care and preschool, $150 billion towards home care initiatives, $200 billion for child tax and income tax credits, $130 billion for the premium tax credit, $35 billion for a Medicare hearing plan, $150 toward housing, $40 billion dedicated to higher ed and the workforce, $90 billion toward topics like equity, and the $555 billion aimed at climate. Half a trillion. Half a trillion. Almost one-third of the bill for climate change. Let me just tell you this. It, they 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 say it's 555 billion. You remember those shovel ready or shovel ready jobs that trillion dollar deal that Obama pushed out on the American people when he first took office? Just wrote checks. Almost a trillion dollars, 900 billion dollars. You remember how much of that we ever were able to get anything out of? Less than half of it, and that's not even a big sure number. Almost all of it went to the cronies of the Obama administration, to business people that had wrote big checks to his campaign to get him elected. And they started companies like Solyndra in California. Oh, they were going to revolutionize energy for us. All those uh, solar energy panels that had been for, I guess, since the very beginning of solar energy panels had been being built in China, and we're going to bring that technology back to the U.S. So one of Obama's buddies started Solyndra, half a billion dollars. I'm sorry, not half a billion. 400, 400 million, 400 something million dollars. Half a billion. We lost it all. Of course, they spent it all. On what? We don't want. We have no idea. Biden wants to separate $100 billion investment in immigration reform. This money supposedly would go towards reducing backlogs, expanding legal representation, making the system for asylum and border processes more efficient. In other words, it's basically, that's just fluff. Forgive us money that we can just spend as we want to spend it down there. So this synopsis, what I just gave to you in itself, as you can hear, and I read it just simply because it came out just moments ago. I wanted to make sure you got the elements that are in it, but it was written, prepared, and from a perspective 
of a Democrat that wants to paint this as rosy, rosy, rosy. You want me to sum it up? It's a financial boondoggle for a bunch of people in causes that are all fluff, very little substance within them, and if this is passed, and I don't think it will be, even though it's going to get a lot of noise over the weekend just simply because, aha, here it is, we got it, Democrats all agreed. Just because Democrats agree doesn't mean something is good. Just because every member of Congress, if they got 100% support of this thing through the entire House of Representatives, 435 and 100 senators, that'd be 535 people. If 100% of them agreed to it, that would not mean it's a good deal. It means it's a deal. They got agreement on something. Just because you think something's good doesn't mean it's good. And just because you think something's bad doesn't mean it's bad. And folks, there's one fundamental problem with this. Just one. And that one should be the only thing necessary for the members of Congress to say, we can't pass this. We can't do this. What would that one thing be, Dan? We don't have the money. We don't have the money. Novel idea. When I was a kid, I loved, and I still do, I love Icy's. You know, the original Icy. I love them. And my grandkids, Poppy, they had Icy's when you were our age. Yeah, they did. They actually did. Icy is a Louisiana thing. It was started right here in shreveport Bossier. Of course, it went all around the world, and there are different versions of it now. Circle K has their own. Every big chain has their own version of Icy, but the original one was just that. First is always best, right? I wanted one all the time. I could drink two or three a day. I mean, come on now. As a kid, what a treat. I mean, in the old days, when you got a, a bottle of pop, I'll never forget it when we went to my dad's business. It took six cents to get a Coke, literally a Coca-Cola, out of the machine. And you had to put the penny in first. Literally, six cents. Anyway, my mom came up with an idea when I was like eight years old. Hey, listen, why don't you try to earn some money? How can I earn some money, Mom? I'm eight years old. She said, uh, our next-door neighbor, they've been looking for somebody to mow and edge their yard once a week during the summer. Why don't you talk to them? So I went and talked to them, and they said, can you do it? And I said, I, I do our yard all the time. I'm pretty sure I could. And they really liked it because we had sidewalks and driveways, and there was no such thing as a power edger back then. If you wanted to edge your yard, you know, the real smooth, clean lines between the cement and where the actual grass started on a sidewalk or your driveway, you had to do it by hand. Nobody liked to get down on their hands and knees and do it that way if you wanted it to look clean. But we had the first power edger that was really an edger. And they wanted me to use that in their yard. So they were glad to have me. James Posey just sent a text. Those were the good old days. They really were. We had a lot of fun back then as kids. Anyway, mom said, make your own money. You can have the, all the ices you want. So the next door neighbor hired me for $2.50 a week, $2.50. 
the neighbors on the other side of that neighbor had a little bit bigger yard, a little more uh, careful of things they wanted me to do. They wanted me to do some extra things to earn my money. So they paid me $3. So think about it, folks. An 18-year-old kid in 1961, you know what $5.50 a week in cash meant to a kid back then? All of that. I could tell you immediately what that would turn in into a number of ICs. I earned my money, and I got to make the decisions about spending my money. It doesn't work that way in Congress. They don't earn money, they being the 535 that we elect to go there to represent us, and we want them to spend our money, which it all is, our money. It is not theirs. We want them to spend it as and in the manner that the majority of Americans want it spent. I will say this. If this thing really gets passed, and it really is $1.75 trillion, you know how much of that $1.75 trillion will actually be spent wisely? I'm going to say less than $100 billion. The rest of it is going to be wasted. And why would anybody waste that? Because it's not theirs. They don't care. They look at it this way. You elected me. That means you made me have the power to make these decisions to do these things. And so that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm making the decisions. Now, I'm going to give you some of the things that are going to make it look like we really are doing things for you, those of you who elected us. But at the end of the day, you don't have any say-so. That's exactly what the thought process is in Congress and has been for a long time, and it's getting worse and worse. And don't say I'm wrong, folks. (laughs) We've had a parade of legislators here on the air at TNN Live, We've, we've published videos that show you saying the things that confirm what I'm saying here. I got to tell you, if this bill passes, there will definitely be a change of power in the midterms because the American people, looking at the landscape of this country right now, looking at our economy, looking at what this administration has done to our economy, to our labor system in the United States, what they've done to every part of it. I mean, from top to bottom, Americans don't want it and Americans are not going to stand for it. And the additional egregious things that are being shoved on the American people by this administration, there comes a point when somebody says enough is enough. This is past being uncomfortable, and it's at ridiculous. That's where we are right now. We're really close to morphing from ridiculous to insane. Equity items included in this? What the heck is equity? It has nothing to do with equality. They know that. They don't even think that a single American has the mental ability to know the difference between equality and equity and why won't they promise us equality, which is already promised us in the U.S. Constitution. What's the difference? 
equality exists on its own. Nobody has to mess with it to make and give equality. It's a natural thing. Equity? Uh-huh. That builds in the ability for people to tip the scales in different ways. Somebody has to use their opinion. What is equitable and what isn't? The facts in those cases don't really matter. It's opinion. And opinion-based stuff very seldom is fair. Just saying, folks, (laughs) we're a long way from getting it all the way around the bases to home. I'm not even sure we're going to get it. One of the big things that has been dropped in this is paid family leave, medical leave proposals. Democrats decided to drop them yesterday, despite the fact they were a key campaign promise of Joe Biden. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York, one of the Senate's leading advocates for those benefits, had tried to reach a last-minute deal with Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who has resisted the, the cost overall of everything in this package. But Gillibrand said yesterday reports about the benefits being dropped or premature, signaling hope that some sort of pared-down version could still be in play. Manchin, he's argued that the cost of the whole thing is too high when some social programs are already in jeopardy of running low on funds. I'm talking to everybody, Manchin said, but I've been very clear to expand social programs when you have trust funds that aren't solvent. They're going insolvent. I can't explain that. It doesn't make sense to me. I just can't do it, he said. But Gillibrand said she's not going to give up on getting the benefits added until the bill is printed. I'll continue working to include paid leave in the Build Back Better plan, she said. And of course, Biden, very little of what he says comes from his own brain and own heart. It's off a teleprompter. Said this on Monday. These bills are about competitiveness versus complacency. They're about expanding opportunity, not opportunity denied. They're about leading the world or continuing to let the world pass us by. Looking for a JFK moment. You know, don't ask what your country can do for you. Rather, ask what you can do for your country. That's a JFK moment. Joe's moment? Well, it passed a long time ago, and he doesn't even remember when it came through what it was. (laughs) Mr. Cognitive Declination. That's our president, folks. That's our president. You got to laugh or you're going to cry. Because, I mean, it's sad. It is sad what we are living through and living in. And to be quite honest with you, it's at no fault of us. We didn't do anything wrong. We listened to them. They made promises to them. Yeah, they said they were going to do stuff and weren't going to do stuff. And here they are doing exactly what they said they weren't going to do. Are you surprised? Hey, you shouldn't be. It's Halloween. (laughs) The witches are out. 
Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Experience wow customer service at TennisExpress.com. 24-7 phone support and live chat. Product reviews on the latest gear and discounts for your team. Secure payment options with PayPal, Amazon, and more. Exclusive products including limited edition tees. Rackets strung by master racket technicians on state-of-the-art machines. Plus, free shipping on orders over $25. Shop TennisExpress.com today. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. For best life minus the burnout, I'm Zuri Hall from NBC's Access Hollywood, and my new podcast, Hot Happy Mess, is all about the most important VIP, you. Join us each Monday as we discuss relationships, self-care, career, and much more. Our podcast is for mindful, ambitious, diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness, laughter, peace, and purpose now. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, and it's easy to see why. Listen to Hot Happy Mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Truth, justice, the TNN way. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever listened to some of the Democrat leaders in the House of Representatives and also in the Senate? Have you ever watched them and listened to them? And have you ever asked this question when they say something? What the heck are they thinking about? How do they come up? What is the um, the whole process of believing the things that they are saying? Well, in the wake of this bill that we're talking about today, and we've been talking about it for months now, yesterday, Dick Durbin, you know who he is. He's a senator, a Democrat senator. Uh, a lot of people think he is a moderate, but he's not. I don't know of but two senators that would even be considered close to being moderate, and that's, that is uh, Cinema from Arizona and Manchin from West Virginia. But listen to what Durbin said yesterday. During a discussion on this spending bill on CNN's New Day show, hosted by John Berman, John Berman asked Durbin this, how are Democrats addressing what are the growing concerns among the American people, A, about the economy, but B, about inflation and prices, just getting out of this pandemic? So, I mean, you put that question in the context of what the topic of the conversation was, the spending bill. Listen to what Durbin responded, what he said. This is a quote. Well, I wish that reporting would include the fact, as the president said in his visit to New Jersey, we're paying for this. What we're doing 
a trillion dollars plus, whatever it happens to be, is being paid for. And we're doing it by changing the tax code and making sure that those making over $400,000 a year are paying their fair share of taxes, along with corporations which are immensely profitable and are not paying any federal taxes. Berman then cut in to ask Durbin if he knows how the bill is being paid for. And Durbin cited the two examples he gave. Now, let me just, before we move on, and I want, I want to get right to this Senate Judiciary hearing yesterday, and I want you to hear Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley one-on-one with Merrick Gardland, the Attorney General. And you may want to go get something to drink while you're listening. Your choice of whether it <laughs> contains alcohol or not. But I can tell you this, it's good. Both of them are good. Both senators really filleted the Attorney General with facts. But about this Durbin thing, let me ask you this. Do you really believe that $1.75 trillion they're going to spend, which will probably be, as you know, $2.5, before they're done with it, and we'll be able to dissect the different parts of this bill in the coming days, it's not going to get passed anytime soon. You can bet your bippy on that. It's going to be a lot of conversation and it's going to become more and more obvious as they finally are forced to give us the details of the points in this thing. You're going to see that it is nothing but a financial boondoggle for friends and uh, family members and partners and who they owe money and favor to and all that kind of stuff. It's all it's going to be. It's going to be identical to that Obama thing, the shovel-ready jobs thing, which even Obama came back in a meeting later on when they finally realized they'd blown all that money. There was nothing good coming from it and laughed about it and said, well, I guess those shovel-ready jobs weren't so shovel-ready after all. We're going to find out this is nothing more than that. If it ever comes to fruition, let's pray that it doesn't. And I'm not adverse to the government spending money, folks. That's what we send it to them to do. But we send it to them for them not to blow, but to spend on things that the nation needs. Not the panacea, the utopian projects that they want to fund. $555 billions for climate change? A big chunk of that is to pay to figure all the climate change things out, kind of like a consulting fee. Are they going to pay God? Because God directs the weather. <laughs> uh, it, it's crazy. I, I've, I've just got to move along. So let's do this. Uh, I'm going to flip a coin. I don't know who to let you hear first, Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz. Here we go. I'm going to flip this. Heads or tails? I'm going to say tails. It's tails. Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri. Young guy, one of the upstart guys. Great attorney. Love his voice. He's got a great speaking voice. But more than that, he is spot on about things of the law. Here is Missouri Senator Josh Hawley yesterday with Attorney General Merrick Garland. Put your feet up. Grab that uh, second or third cup of coffee. 
do away with all of the distractions and listen to this testimony from yesterday. Uh, Attorney General Garland, on October 4th, you issued an unprecedented memo that involves the Department of Justice and the FBI and local school districts, local school boards, nothing like it in our country's history. It was based, you've testified, on this letter from the National School Board Association that we now know the White House was involved in writing. They've retracted the letter. They've apologized for the letter. They say they regret the letter, but you won't retract the memo and said earlier that you have no regrets. And you've defended yourself repeatedly today before this committee by saying, well, you're focused on violence. But now, of course, we've seen the memo from your own Justice Department advising state and local and other prosecutors about all of the different federal causes of action that they can bring against parents that are not about violence, they're about harassment and intimidation. I'm looking here at this memo. It identifies no fewer than 13 possible federal crimes involving harassment and intimidation, including making annoying phone calls. Do you think a parent who makes a phone call to a school board member that she has elected that that school board member deems annoying should be prosecuted, General Garland? No, I don't. And the Supreme Court has made quite clear that the word intimidation with respect to the constitutional protection is one that directs a threat to a person with the intent of placing the victim in fear of bodily harm or death. Prosecutors who investigate these cases know the Supreme Courts. This is a, a, a very famous ah, leading case. Pro- prosecutors do, but, but parents don't, General Garland. Do you, do you think that a parent who looks at the 13 different federal crimes that your Justice Department has identified they might be subject to and prosecuted for, like making annoying phone calls, do you think that they're going to feel that they're welcome to speak up at a school board meeting? How about this one? They could be prosecuted for using the Internet, I guess that would be Facebook, in a way that might cause emotional distress to a victim. Is that a, is that a crime of violence? Senator, I haven't seen the memo that you're Why talking haven't about. You? And I don't, I, and I, I, even from the description, it doesn't sound like it was addressed to parents. But if you No, it, was, it wasn't addressed to parents. It was addressed to prosecutors. That's the problem. Why haven't you seen the memo? I, uh, I, I don't know why I haven't. I don't look at every, I, have, I do not get every memo that every U.S. attorney uh, sends out. But uh, if you're... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Don't, don't, I, I just want to be sure I understand this. this. This is a memorandum that collects 13 different federal crimes parents could be charged with. It has United States Department of Justice on the top of it. And you're telling me you haven't seen it? Who's the memo from, Senator? The United States Department of Justice, United States Attorney for the District of Montana. I have not seen a memo from the District of Montana. I not have... high enough priority for you? It's not, that's not the question. I don't... It is the question. Answer my question. Is it not a high enough priority for you when you're threatening parents with 13 different federal crimes? These aren't crimes of violence. You've testified today. You're focused on violence. That's not what your U.S. attorneys... They work for you. That's not what they're saying. You haven't seen it because it's not a high enough priority or what? Question of priority. No one has sent me that memo, so I haven't seen it. What do you mean no one has sent you the memo? You run the United States Department of Justice. Do you not? There are 115,000 employees of the Department of Justice. Indeed, and you are in charge of every one of them. And And this was a sufficiently important case that you issued a memo. You, over your signature, issued a memo involving the FBI and the Department of Justice in local school boards, local school districts. Your U.S. attorneys are now threatening prosecution with 13 different crimes, but it's not a high enough priority for you. It got lost in the mix. 
I'll send again. I've never seen that memo. It was That's what concerns me. me, General Garland. Well, it wasn't sent to me. I hope you will assure your constituents that what we are concerned about here is violence and threats of violence. That only leads That's me to conclude, way. General That's Garland, all I can conclude from this is either that you're not in control of your own department or that more likely what I think to be the case is that you knew full well that this is exactly the kind of thing that would happen. When you issued your memo, when you involved the Department of Justice and all of its resources, and the FBI and all of its resources, and local school boards and local school districts, you knew that federal prosecutors would start collecting crimes that they could use against parents. You knew they would advise state and local officials that these are all of the ways parents might be prosecuted. You knew that that was the likely outcome, and that's exactly what's happened. And we're talking about parents like Scott Smith, who's behind me over my shoulder. This is a father from Loudoun County, Virginia. Here he is at a school board meeting. He was forcibly restrained. He was assaulted. He was arrested. Why? Because he went to an elected school board meeting. He's a voter, by the way. He went to an elected school board meeting to raise the fact that his daughter was assaulted, sexually assaulted, in a girl's restroom by a boy. This is what happened to him. Now, you testified last week before the House that you didn't know anything about this case. I find that extraordinary because the letter that you put so much weight on, the letter that's now been retracted, it cites this case. It cites Mr. Scott's case directly. There's a news article cited in the letter. It's discussed in the letter, but you testified you just couldn't remember it. Maybe this will refresh your memory. Do you think people like Scott Smith, you think parents who show up to complain about their children being assaulted ought to be treated like this man right here? Parents who show up to complain about school boards are protected by the First Amendment. Do you think that they ought to be prosecuted they in the different protected. ways that your U.S. attorneys are identifying? If what they're doing is complaining about what the school board is doing, policies, curriculum, anything else that they want to, as long as they're not committing threats of violence, then they should not be prosecuted, and they can't be. Let me ask you about this. Several of my Democrat colleagues have today, just today in this hearing, multiple times have compared parents who show up at school board meetings, like Mr. Smith here, have compared them to criminal rioters. You think that's right? You think that a parent who shows up at a school board meeting, who has a complaint, who wants to voice that complaint, and maybe she doesn't use exactly the right grammar, you think they're akin to criminal rioters? Do you agree with that? I do not, and I do not remember any senator here making that comparison. Oh, really? These people are just like the folks who came here on January 6th and in, in, in the riot at the Capitol? I don't think it was, they were referring to the picture that you're showing there. Well, I certainly would hope not, but they were referring to parents who go to school board meetings. Mr. Smith is a parent who went to a school board meeting. I'll leave it at this, General Garland. You have weaponized the FBI and the Department of Justice. Your U.S. attorneys are now collecting and cataloging all the ways that they might prosecute parents like Mr. Smith because they want to be involved in their children's education and they want to have a say in their elected officials. It's wrong. It is unprecedented to my knowledge in the history of this country. And I call on you to resign. Uh, uh, how do you really feel, Senator Hawley? <laughs> Folks, what we just heard was a lesson from a young attorney from Missouri who just happened to be right on with the facts, with the exact documents verbatim that stuff like this is taking over our country. We're not being governed by people 
who are taking facts that are creating a narrative based on facts with which to govern the nation. They're ignoring the facts. They're ignoring the structure that was put in place first by our forefathers, the U.S. Constitution. And through the years, members of Congress have amended when things were wrong or needed to be adjusted or updated. That's all part of a skeletal structure that everything in this country is based on or has been based on. But in this environment in which we find ourselves, the one that George Orwell wrote about 60, 70 years ago and said it was going to happen and be on us by 1984, he missed it. But he didn't miss it far. He just missed the win, the W-H-E-N. He didn't miss the fact that it was going to happen. Whether you call it Big Brother, whether you call it totalitarianism, where you call it, whether you call it Obamaism or Bidenism, it doesn't matter what you call it, what it is. It's government overreach, government reaching into the lives of Americans with no legal authority to do so and changing it and threatening to do more and be more intrusive in the lives of Americans than they are already. Now, before we go to Ted Cruz, this morning, Geraldo Rivera. I got to be honest with you. Geraldo's been around for a lot of years. Flamboyant, uh, very verbose, says pretty much anything and everything. Cannot stand when somebody with whom he's talking with disagrees with him. His go-to position on all of that is every time somebody disagrees with me, they're absolutely wrong. They cannot possibly be right because if they're thinking different from me, they've got to be wrong. I mean, after all, I'm Geraldo Rivera. And he came out and blasted Josh Hawley and also Tom Cotton from Arkansas. We're not going to play Tom Cotton's back and forth with the Attorney General. He also blasted Ted Cruz, who you're going to hear in a minute. But the reason Geraldo did so was not because of the content. It was because the same thing that millions of Americans really hoped that would change during the Trump administration. And what is that one common thing? Oh, they don't want him to change anything he did. They love the economy in those four years. They loved the fact that more people were employed than ever, that black unemployment was the lowest ever, more women were employed than ever, wages went up, taxes went down. Things got a lot better. That substance. They didn't want any of that to change during the Trump administration. Millions of people would just have preferred a different method of messaging on the part of the then-President Trump. That's not substance, folks. That's just one little piece of the process. Now, let me ask you this. 
would you prefer to have a Donald Trump in office today that message like Joe Biden that never gave any factual substance, any communications that were based on real things, promises made that were promises kept, which is what Donald Trump did, but they talk good. They say the politically correct things, like Geraldo Rivera pointed out this morning about Cruz, Cotton, and Hawley. He didn't address the context of what they said. He didn't address the content of what they said. He stopped on the emotional piece because it sounded arrogant. It sounded ruthless, but he didn't point out that it was factual, which is what it was. I got to be honest with you. I'm tired of the symbolism over substance thing that has been brought into the marketplace of politics, been shoved down our throats for decades, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And now we're at the point now, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. If you say it in a good, nice way, or if you say it in a way that those who you want to follow you are comfortable with, that's all that is necessary to make it be okay. Folks, that mindset, we're on the brink because of that mindset. When you abandon the basics, you know, the something's true or it's false, when you abandon that and you start letting all of the maybes in the gray area come in and that gray area gets wider and wider and wider and the truth begets, it gets more and more hard to find and identify because there's so much other stuff you can't even wade through it all to get to the truth. That's where we are in this administration, almost totally. And Merrick Garland, do you realize you heard him back in that conversation there? You heard him, and you're about to hear him again. Think about this while you're listening to Merrick Garland and Texas Senator Ted Cruz. And think about this. What if he was right now on the United States Supreme Court looking at and considering all of the sensitive topics that we know are pending before this court? I got to be honest with you, I couldn't sleep at night if he was a Supreme Court justice right now, just based on the little bit that I've heard from him directly, from his own mouth. Last week in the House Judiciary Committee hearings, and this week in the Senate Judiciary hearings. If you think Hawley got tough on Merrick Garland, listen to Ted Cruz. For eight years under Barack Obama, the Department of Justice was politicized and weaponized. When you came before this committee in your confirmation hearing, you promised things would be different. I asked you specifically, quote, will you commit to this committee that under your leadership, the Department of Justice will not target the political opponents of this administration? Here was your answer, quote, absolutely. It's totally inappropriate for the department to target any individual because of their politics or their position in a campaign. That was your promise just a few months ago. I'm sorry to say you have broken that promise. There is a difference between law and politics. And General Garland, you know the difference between law and politics. Law is based on facts. It is impartial. It is not used as a tool of political retribution. This memo was not law. 
This memo was politics. On Wednesday, September 29th, the National School Board Association wrote a letter to the president asking the president to use the Department of Justice to target parents that were upset at critical race theory, that were upset at mask mandates in schools, to target them as domestic terrorists. On the face of the letter, the letter was in repeated consultation with the White House, in explicit political consultation with the White House. That was on Wednesday, September 29th. Five days later, on Monday, so right after the weekend, boom, you pop out a memo giving them exactly what they want. Now, by the way, I understand that. In politics, that happens all the time. An important special interest wants something. Sir, yes, sir. We're going to listen to them. Let me ask you something, General Garland. In the letter, which you told the House of Representatives was the basis for this abusive memo targeting parents, how many incidents are cited in that memo? I have to look back through the memo. I okay, can't count it. You don't know. How many of them were violent? Again, the, the general report... How many of them were violent? Do you know? I don't know. You don't know. And there's a reason you don't know. Because you didn't care, and nobody in your office cared to find out. I did a quick count just sitting here. During this hearing, I counted 20 incidents cited. Of the 20, 15 on their face are nonviolent. They involve things like insults. They involve a Nazi salute. That's one of the examples. My God, a parent did a Nazi salute at a school board because he thought the, the, the policies were oppressive. General Garland is doing a Nazi salute at an elected official. Is that protected by the First Amendment? Yes, it is. Okay, 15 of the 20 on the face of it are not violent. They're not threats of violence. They're parents who are unhappy. Yet, miraculously, when you write a memo, the opening line of your memo in recent months, there has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence. You know what? You didn't look, and nobody on your, on your staff looked. Did you even look up the 20 instances? As I testified, the decision to make uh, send a memo is for an assessment. Did you look up the 20 instances? I did not read. Did anyone on your staff look them up? I don't know the answer, but it's not uh, But of course memo. you don't. In general, there's a reason. Look, you started your career as a law clerk to Justice Brennan. You've had many law clerks during the year, during your time as a judge. I was a clerk to Chief Justice Rehnquist. I'll tell you what, if I drafted an opinion for the Chief Justice and walked in and it said, there's a disturbing pattern of violence, well, Ted, how do you know that? Well, I got an amicus brief here who claims it. You would fire a law clerk who did that. You're the Attorney General of the United States. This was not a tweet you sent. This is a memo to the Federal Bureau of Investigations saying, go investigate parents as domestic terrorists. That is not what the memo says at all. It does it, not is it what the letter says? That is not what Is it what the letter says? I don't care what the letter says. You don't care. care. You said it was the basis of your memo. You testified under oath before the House of Representatives. The letter was the basis of your memo. Now and you don't care about the letter? The letter and public reports of violence and threats of violence. My memo says nothing about domestic terrorism. It says nothing about parents committing any such things. My memo is an attempt to get an assessment of whether there is a problem out there that the federal government needs to respond. The letter on its face 
says the actions of the appearance could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And that is wrong. And, and asks the president to use the Patriot Act in regards to domestic terrorism and directed at parents. And this was the basis of your memo. My memo. The Department of Justice, when you're directing the FBI to engage in law enforcement, you're not behaving as a political operative because a political ally of the president says, hey, go attack these parents because we don't like what they're saying. Department of Justice, you did no independent research on what was happening, did you? The memo has nothing to do with partisan Did you do independent law. research? The memo has Did you no do independent research? The memo has nothing to do okay, with politics. You're not answering that politics. question. You've testified you know nothing about the violent sexual assault that happened in Loudoun County, even though it's one of the bases in this letter. I read about it since then. Okay. You told the House last week you knew nothing about I did it. Not know at the time. No. Okay. This week, the court concluded that a 14-year-old girl was violently raped by a boy wearing a skirt in the girls' restroom. The school district covered it up, released the boy, sent him to another school where he violently raped another girl. The father who Mr. Hawley just showed you was the father of, of, of the first girl. He was understandably... Do you understand why... A parent would be upset when your daughter is raped at school, the school board covers it up, and then lies to you and claims there have been no assaults, we have no instances of assaults in our bathroom. And that was a flat-out lie, as the court concluded this week. Do you understand why the parent would be upset? Absolutely, and is any expressions of upset are completely protected by the First Amendment. Except you just called him a domestic terrorist. I never called him that. That's not correct. This letter calls him a domestic terrorist. You based a direction to the FBI, an official direction from the Attorney General on this letter. And I'll tell you what, the, the NSBA is so embarrassed of this letter, they've apologized for it and retracted it, but you don't apparently have the same willingness to apologize and retract what you... Senator Ted Cruz, how do you follow that? Either one of them, Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz... I got to be honest with you. When I listened to the way that Attorney General Merrick Garland responded to the questions and the substance of all of the reasoning that went into his drafting that memo, and, and, and let me make sure everybody listening understands, he sent a memo, the Attorney General, after he got a letter from the National School Board Association requesting, now, he didn't get the letter. It came to the Department of Justice. Um, but they sent the letter first to the White House. And if you didn't hear the previous Q&A with the Attorney General, uh, there was extensive questioning about how that all happened. Who was talking to who? Did somebody from the White House call the Attorney General and say, you need to put out this memo? He said it didn't happen that way. Nobody called him. Well, who at the White House was in communication and he said, I didn't talk to anybody at the White House. Well, who on your staff did? And he said, as a way of explanation, and I understand this, there's daily communication between the Justice Department and the White House, different people there. He didn't know who and didn't know for sure that anybody had, which I think may have been a little gray. I can tell you this. The Attorney General of the United States, who was appointed by Joe Biden, um, He's not going to write a memo and craft it to say what it said without some direct input from somebody 
who has authority to put him in the clear and cover his CYA, you know what the A stands for. And the only person or people that could do that is either the president or somebody that works for him. So all that being said, the Attorney General of the United States releases a memo that he sent to the FBI informing the FBI, instructing the FBI that various field offices around the nation to integrate with local law enforcement to make sure that nobody's rights are being violated. There is no terrorist activity at any kind of meeting. And if there is, to make sure that they take matters in their hands and basically make each of these things that happen a federal occurrence, which they're not, folks. That particular one was a school board meeting, a state school board, but it was done in a local school board hearing, school board meeting, which would make it a local matter. Now, let me just say this, and I'm going to move on. We're going to move on, but let me just say this. You know what the big problem in all this is? If there are acts of terrorism being perpetrated on anybody, anywhere in the United States of America, and local law enforcement doesn't have the ability or declines to do anything about it, we already have multiple legs of processes from the J. Edgar Hoover building in Washington, D.C., which is where the FBI and the Department of Justice headquarter, all the way down to Del High, Louisiana's police force, and every little mom and pop justice of the peace around the nation, everybody that's in law enforcement, hey, you know what the laws are where you are? You know what the local laws laws where you live are? You're supposed to enforce those laws. And if it gets above that, you get the state involved. And if the state can't handle it or needs to move it upstream, that's where the feds come in. If all this kind of stuff was happening around the nation already, Why isn't it being handled by the local guys, by the state guys, and by the FBI already? What necessitates a memo coming from the Attorney General specifically in a reaction to a memo sent from the National School Board Association to President Biden, and in that letter... They requested that the president get his Department of Justice to investigate people at these meetings and other types of issues that come up just like that using the Patriot Act. You know what the Patriot Act is? It was an act after 9-11 which the CIA and the FBI felt like they needed blanket authority to begin monitoring and investigating anybody in the United States that they had an actual concern or belief, not documented evidence, but just concern or belief that somebody in the United States was involved with somebody in another country that may lead to 
a 9-11 type event happening in the U.S. again. In other words, it gave them blanket authority to investigate us, to look into and have access to everything about you, phone records, financial records. Do you think that all of the information in your life, although you've got it very heavily password protected and nobody can reach in and get anything about your your credit history, your financial records, your bank accounts and all that kind of folks. There's stuff about you that I can buy for less than $10 on the street if I make a contact with or email to somebody the right person today. I don't care how you are safely protected. And that door was open. Pandora's box door was open by the Patriot Act. It was used, it was the whole foundation of the Russia collusion investigation. (laughs) All that, and you put this whole thing in context, it had nothing to do with the responsibility, the job description of the United States Attorney General. It had to do with Merrick Garland being a Democrat, Joe Biden being a Democrat, and some of the Democrat minions down line. They lied. They cheated a young girl, a second young girl whose name hasn't come out yet. And for political purposes only, because the state of Virginia has these unbelievably all-consuming transgender identification laws in place that we've got to make sure they work. So we've got to let girls and boys be in the same bathroom and locker room facilities in the same way. All they have to do to be eligible is to say, I self-identify as the uh, opposite sex. And we can't let that mess our deal up. So we're just going to lie about it. We're not going to say it even exists. We're going to ignore it. And a 15-year-old girl was raped in a bathroom by a guy who was in there faking that he identified as a girl. School board covered it up. They didn't send the boy to get prosecuted. They moved him to another school district where he did the same thing again, all in the name of being politically correct. Makes me feel good about being a poppy to six grandchildren, two of which are twin girls. Thinking about educators in their lives, not only allowing something like this to happen, but covering it up, and then the President of the United States or somebody in his administration reaching out to the Attorney General to threaten my mom and dad, or their mom and dad, or their poppy, which would be me, If I wanted to go to a school board meeting and find out what the heck is going on, why didn't they prosecute this kid, turn it over to local and state authorities and get him prosecuted for rape? We're not talking about kissing a girl without her wanting to be kissed, folks. And this is the United States of America. 
where we live. We live by, we live for, and we swear an oath if we're going to be a politician to the rule of law. And then we say, eh, it doesn't matter. I don't want to enforce that one, although I've committed that I would do that. We're going to let it slide this time. Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water to local communities in need. Go to PolandSpring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select size is only 20 up 700 milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. When fake news threatens the fabric of the nation, you have a choice. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Let me just be perfectly clear about something. Yeah, we we started this morning dealing with some negative things. Uh, James Posey just reminded me a moment ago in the break, sent me a text, and he said... uh, is anything good happening in the United States? And I kind of snickered and then he followed up and said, it's so sad, but we still live in the greatest country on earth. And we do folks. And this is not to say it's the end of the world. You know, I'm not out there screaming and hollering saying the sky is falling and the sky is falling. What I am saying is the sky is headed toward falling. If we don't straighten things out. I guess maybe, uh, you know, it's not the end of it all. We're broken, but we can fix it, and we need to, and here's how we need to fix it. And it begins with the fundamentals, going back to the fundamentals. What really worked? What worked for 260 years? Yeah, there are things that need to be adjusted, tweaked. 
We don't need to blow it up, folks. We just need to fix it. There's a big difference there. And so I'm not saying, and I don't want to give the impression in any way that I think we're toast, that we're done. No, 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 no. God put this country here. He put this whole thing in motion. He has blessed us, blessed us because of people and leaders through 260 years that have agreed that God is in charge. And there are a bunch of people in D.C. that disagree adamantly with that. But thankfully, at least so far, there have been more that believe God is in charge, that our rights came from a higher calling than Democrats or Republicans. It came from God. So let's just move along with this story. It's interesting if you watch the polling. We keep our we keep our finger on it here at TNN Live. And we look at the uh, a compilation of all the polls. Have you ever done it? Real Clear Politics is the way to go. Let's look at the latest uh, from Real Clear clear politics, see what their polling is. They, um, when you, when you pull up their website, they have some great stories, but in the top, there's a banner across the top and it's got categories up there. Polls is the first one. Election 2021, 22 is the second one. If you click on polls and you can look at every day, uh, the first is a compilation of polls. It's called the latest polls. If you click, click on that, it'll bring up different ones. For instance, it just popped up and it's got the Virginia governor, Yunkin versus McAuliffe race and a latest poll from Christopher Newport University. Never heard of it. Don't know anything about it. But it has, as of this morning, McAuliffe at 49%, Yunkin at 48%. Uh, New Jersey's another one. It's a poll right below that one from Monmouth. The, the incumbent, Murphy, has 51 Sia Terrelli, 40 who is a Republican in that race. And it goes on down the latest today from Politico and Morning Consult on Biden's job approval is approved 46, disapproved 51. Rasmussen has Biden's job approval approved 42%, disapproved 57. That's a 15-point spread the wrong way for Joe. The consensus is pretty much all the way along in the President Biden job approval is he's down significantly. He's upside down, a place I'm sure he doesn't enjoy being, but it's because of factual things, not because of fluff. We got to dig for the facts, folks. We just have to find them, vet them, get comfortable with the facts, even when the facts aren't good and they're not what they want. we want them to be. But then look at them and figure out, what can we do to make them better? and then join the fight, the struggle, to do just that. So yesterday, I thought this was kind of interesting. Here's what Biden said. We're on the move, but we're on the right track. We've got more to do. That's Biden boasting during an address, and he's talking to Virginians, trying to get them to support Terry McAuliffe for governor. Biden ignored Americans struggling with inflation, with high gas prices, supply chain shortages, and promoted all the free things he wants to give to Americans. He argued Americans were enjoying increased household wealth, 
more manufacturing and a high stock market price. Take a look at the stock market now, he said. It's higher than it's ever been. I guess everything's doing well. You got to remember, folks, he lives in a different world. He is surrounded by a lot of things that prevent him from having to deal with the everyday regular things that middle-class Americans do. And in my mind, that's always been the biggest problem with Washington, D.C., the Potomac Valley, the Potomac River Valley up there, Northern Virginia, uh, Delaware included, um, parts of Maryland, and of course, Washington, D.C. Those people live in a world in which many people on this side of that wall, and it's not really a wall, we can't identify with, nor can they identify with ours. Because the world that they create for themselves using our money, using power and influence that they garner, not because of their personal accomplishments in any way, like building a business, they get theirs from winning popularity contests. And because of that, they think they're better than other people. I'm serious, folks. People go up there and get caught up in that, and they change. They're not the same people they were when they were down here, asking for your votes, promising to do this and do that for you, to make lives better, to help you get a better job. Biden promised better infrastructure and better internet access across the state of Virginia, free preschool, free child care, cheaper prescription drugs, replacing lead pipes in homes and schools, even though Democrat divisions in Congress have stalled that in his own agenda. He said Donald Trump was the only president since Herbert Hoover to experience more jobs lost than gain during his four years in office without mentioning the coronavirus pandemic as the cause of the job losses. Let's morph ahead. They tout every day in the White House briefings, we've got more new jobs for Americans than any president ever in history. They're not new jobs, folks. It's just people that are going back to work that were locked out when they were locked down and their businesses where they were working had to close the doors for months. And so when those people go back to work, Biden and his crew, they call those new jobs. They're not new jobs. New jobs come when the economic conditions that are put in place by great presidential and congressional policies encourage job growth, encourage corporations, that are owned by stockholders, American people, in large part, to encourage them to expand. When you expand, you hire new people. You need to bring in more management people, which means higher salaries. All of that is not top-down economic growth. What this president wants, what this Congress wants, is top-down money going down rather than money coming from the bottom up. How does that work? Well, money up means you get conditions to the point where more people go to work, more people already working, get better jobs, get paid more. They send more money from the bottom up to Washington, D.C., like what happened 
arguably over and over and consistently during the four years of Donald Trump. It's either it's either one of two things. Either Democrats don't get that picture and understand how economics work in a free market capitalist system. They either don't get it or they get it and they don't care. They don't want people at the bottom. And when I call the bottom and I bring that out, I'm not, that's not a negative thing, being at the bottom. I'm talking about the structure of the way government to the people works. Government's at the top. People are at the bottom. Problem is, they look at all of us at the bottom as being their plebes that we work for them. Yeah, I'm a little bit upset, but I can tell you this. I'm not upset with those three members of the U.S. Senate and the way they talked to and questioned Attorney General Merrick Garland. I'm talking about Arkansas's Tom Cotton, Missouri's Josh Hawley, Texas's Ted Cruz. I think it's time that we called every member of the U.S. Congress, every member in the Biden administration, top to bottom, we need to call them out and hold them accountable. And that's exactly what you just heard those two senators do yesterday. Had a little nasty news come out about something in my state of Louisiana. President Trump never once mandated COVID-19. You remember that? Never one time. Every time he was asked, he said, nope, This administration will never do that. That's something that the people decide for themselves. With Biden at the top, both vaccine mandates and vaccine distribution have increased, as has the intense interest in vaccinating our kids. 99.9% chance any kid in America gets COVID-19, they're not going to die. That's before they get a vaccine. 99 plus. Less than 1%. Less than flu deaths, folks. Why, oh why, is there such a violent push to vaccinate our babies? Many public schools, having taken federal aid under the CARES Act, remember that? They are now offering vaccination clinics. And while states have protections for parents requiring parental consent before vaccination, a high school in my state ignored that protocol. Louisiana mom Jennifer Ravane found out that her 16-year-old son at East Jefferson High School, which is a suburb of New Orleans, received the COVID-19 vaccine. She didn't know about it, wasn't asked, and she never gave her consent. And he is, by law, underage. She's suing the school for violating parental rights since the minor boy cannot legally consent to get a COVID shot. Ravane also found out her son was one of many who received the jab without their parents' consent. Allegedly, an Ochsner Mobile Vaccination Clinic. Ochsner is a, it's the biggest hospital uh, employer in the state of Louisiana. 
In fact, it was announced yesterday, not formally, but announced that Oshner is building a brand new hospital in Shreveport. Bossier is going to be a big one. Um, but anyway, one of their mobile vaccination clinics was at East Jeff High School to vaccinate teenagers. However, the Louisiana Department of Health states that a parent's signature is required for anybody under 18 who wants the jab. And so Ravain's lawyer, G. Shelley Maturin, is preparing to file suit. The lawyer states the nightmare situation should shock the conscience of all citizens of Louisiana. Oshner's Health's chief medical officer, Dr. Robert Hart, apologized for the incident. Hart released a statement agreeing that underage students should not be vaccinated without parental consent. This is the kind of thing that parents don't need to worry with, don't need to worry about. Healthcare officials, education officials, public education officials. East Jefferson High School is a public school. I mean, that's something you don't want to have to worry with. Think about it as a, as a parent, especially when your kids, you know, when they get in their teens, they get past 13, 14. They begin to be able to think for themselves, and they're typically not going to get caught up in stupid stuff. It happens. I get it, but not typically. And here's a mom. Now, I, I, this is not about anti-vax or vaccine hesitation or anything like that. I'm talking about it as a dad, as a grandfather. I can't bear to think that anybody, any adult, for any reason about anything, would take advantage of any one of my grandkids or my kids when they were in school. And that's another thing that today's moms and dads, because of stuff like this, They've got to worry about and worry about it needlessly. I mean, you've got massive numbers of healthcare workers that are actually putting their careers on. The, and you don't become a healthcare worker just by walking up to a front door and saying, Hey, I want to be a healthcare worker. Will you hire me? Sure, come on in. We're going to pay you 40 or $50 an hour to be a nurse. No, 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 no. It's a tremendous investment on your part to become qualified even to enter the healthcare industry to work as it should be. So despite the fact that these COVID vaccines have been promoted from even before they were out on the marketplace as safe and effective, many healthcare workers are saying, we're not going to take them. And some of those who openly speak out about their concerns get censored when they do by big tech companies. And a lot of those people are even being kicked off of Facebook and Twitter and some of the other social media sites. Some nurses and doctors are refusing vaccine mandates even if their refusal cost them their jobs. Here's an example. Emily Nixon is a registered nurse. She's been working in the health industry for 18 years. Her employer, Maine Health, when they announced it would make the vaccine mandatory, she quickly organized a group called the Coalition for Healthcare Workers Against Medical Mandates, and they filed a lawsuit against Maine Health. Thousands of healthcare workers have and will be losing their jobs. 
The already weak healthcare infrastructure of Maine will not withstand this devastating loss of staff. Lives will be lost. Care is already being rationed. We have been experiencing a media blackout in this state. Speaking from my point of view, this nurse, Emily Nixon, who is an intelligent, healthy, and empowered healthcare professional that takes excellent care of herself, she said it's an insult to expect that she would accept an injection of unknown substance and efficacy and provide an example to the great people that she serves in Maine that they too should submit their power over to pharmaceutical companies, convicted felons in an effort to put a band-aid on the gaping wound of reality. She said it's unconscionable to mandate injections without exemption, especially when the injection is a brand new medical product still undergoing its first year of study. Breakthrough cases are not properly reported. We know this vaccine is leaky. The safety and effectiveness of this vaccine has not been proven. There are other safe and alternative treatments. It's impossible to give fully informed consent without long-term unbiased data. Threatening our jobs is blatant coercion. Our God-given right to bodily integrity and personal autonomy has been stripped with these mandates. We will not stand for it, she said. And there's another nurse, a nurse practitioner, Jacqueline Zubiate, was working for Southern Maine Healthcare. I didn't take the vaccine, she said, even though I will be terminated. Now with the data we have, we know that the survival rate is quite high. Over the last 18 months, I've only sent one patient to the emergency room in respiratory distress. COVID has no distinguishing features among other viruses like other diseases that we have vaccines for. Why would I need a vaccine for something with a 99 plus percent survival rate that does not have any distinguishable features, she said. Healthcare workers are not taking it because they know that the side effects are real. In urgent care, I've seen myocarditis, cellulitis, and unusual neurological symptoms, among a variety of other side effects. I've seen people very ill post-vaccine and then go on to test positive. The positivity rate for contracting COVID on the vaccine is very high for the recent studies and what I'm seeing in our clinic. A vaccine should work, and it is not working. It should be tested for years on something other than humans before we call it safe and effective. There have been over 15,000 deaths from the vaccine that the media are not talking about. I'll never take that risk myself. And then there's Jessica Mosher. She's been a registered nurse for more than a decade. She's a mother of four, a veteran of the Navy, who lost her job because she refused the shot. She was a nursing supervisor, patient observer manager, and nurse program director at Reddington Fairview General Hospital. She said, protecting my health, staying true to my religious convictions, will always be my choice over a job. The scriptures promise that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. I'm telling you, that's from Genesis, let's see, Genesis 2 and 22. This side of heaven, we have an abundance of employment options, but we only have one life, she said. I have a master's degree in nursing. I'm employed as a professor of nursing research 
and evidence-based practice. I'm skilled in collecting and analyzing data and in drawing conclusions. I did not rely on the media, on government or big tech for any of my healthcare decisions prior to COVID-19. I have no plans to change course. The data speaks for itself related to the harm this experimental vaccine has caused and the lack of studies that have been conducted. What I've seen as a nurse and what others have shared post-vax seals the deal. The virus, like the cold and flu, does not have a cure. However, it has an almost 100% survival rate. Those pushing the vaccine are following the money. I'm following the science. Healthcare workers do not walk away from their passion or stable salary to be difficult. The amount of people willing to be fired should be cause for alarm in and of itself. And then there's John Lewis, the final one. He worked for a large hospital in southern Maine. He's pro-life. He believes that all life is precious. Knowing all three available vaccines were either tested, developed, or produced using fetal cell lines from elective abortions, I could not in good conscience violate my deeply held beliefs. Anticipating I would be able to file a religious exemption, it's hard to accept that I'm not being afforded an attempt at an exemption based on my duties after considering I'm a remote worker and do not interact with patients. Outside of medical or religious exemptions, many healthcare workers consider the risk benefits of getting the vaccine. It's the same approach to providing patient care, where the patient is allowed informed consent. Many of the healthcare workers have natural immunity. Others don't feel there was enough long-term research into adverse effects. Also, these healthcare workers see with their own eyes what is happening in hospitals, which isn't necessarily in line with the narrative. One after another, after another, after another. And folks, if, if, if this, what you're listening to, if this doesn't bother you, if this means absolutely nothing to you, I get it. And that's okay. Because you know what? We have this free will thing. God gave each of us the ability to determine on ourselves what we will do, and what we won't do. And in medicine, that's called informed consent. One of the biggest wars that is taking place in healthcare today that I've ever seen, and I've been in healthcare for 28 years, interacting with and dealing with actual medical procedures in the hundreds of thousands every year. We see all the documentation. We handle all of the billing for major medical corporations from hospitals on down, individual practices, medicine of all kinds. We've watched it happen, folks. Watching this and knowing all of this, I cannot believe that our government, the government of the United States, in conjunction, dollars and cents is at the center of it. Remember, the love of money is the root of all evil. Joining together with big tech Big Pharma and the United States federal government is trampling on the individual rights of Americans and we are just inches away from having 100% vaccination mandates in the United States of America. We're inches away. 
And don't think I'm, I'm an idiot. Don't think I'm barking up the wrong tree. If I had told you what's happening today, if a year ago, if I told you that was going to be happening today, on October 28, 2021, you would have laughed at me. Don't laugh at me, folks. There's a whole lot more in the wind. And I don't think something like that would happen until after a 22 midterm sweep victory by the Democrats, which they would view as a consensus for them to take over and dominate even more of our lives parts than they do now. But don't think we're far away from that happening. We're very, very close. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? Crawl or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. Hey, we got one more, one more... Um, medical story. I guess it's medical story. I think it probably has a little bit more to do with uh, immigration before we move on. While President Biden's administration imposes their new vaccine and Chinese COVID testing requirements for us, illegal aliens, two million of them. That's how many have come in the last year. We've caught them, we've arrested them, and they're here. Two million of them. They're exempt. On Monday of this week, the Biden administration issued guidelines that require American citizens, those who are not vaxxed and those who are vaxxed, to present negative COVID tests before traveling back to the United States on a commercial flight. Now think about that for a moment. You go to um, one of our favorite 
places to vacation is Turks and Caicos. It's an island in the Caribbean. It's not in the United States. It's not a territory. That would be a country, not the U.S. And if we go to Turks and Caicos while this is going on, Providenciales, my favorite city in the Caribbean. The beach is there. If you think Destin, Florida, the sand is white and the water's clear, <laughs> you haven't been to uh, Turks and Caicos. Oh my gosh, it's incredible there. But anyway, we go to Turks and Caicos and we fly back. It's only an hour and a half flight from Turks to Charlotte, North Carolina, where we change planes and come to, back to Shreveport, Louisiana. We can't do it because we're not vaxxed. And if you're not vaxxed, you can't present proof that you were vaccinated. So that means I couldn't come back into the United States. The new requirements started or start next month on the 8th of November. That comes after Biden ordered that all U.S. employers with 100 employees or more require their workforce to be vaccinated at the same time. Border crossers and illegals arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border, they're exempt from vaccine mandates and also from any testing. And in thousands of cases, not only are illegal aliens exempt, but they're released into the U.S. interior and they're taking COVID-19 with them. Last week, Biden's nominee to lead the Customs and Border Protection was asked about that exemption for border crossers and illegals to which he said the policy ought to be updated to require that all arriving at the southern border take one of three available vaccines. I think that any of those individuals, migrants coming into the country, should be immunized. That's uh, Tucson, Arizona Police Chief Chris Magnus. There's something I definitely want to explore. It seems reasonable to me. So former Border Protection Commissioner Mark Morgan has said that few to none of the border crossers and illegals that are apprehended at the southern border are vaccinated. Democrats in D.C. have likewise opposed any such vaccine mandates for legal immigrants to the U.S. while supporting restrictions on American citizens. Now, here's the conundrum there. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Rules for me, but not for thee, or rules for thee and none for me. All of those colloquialisms apply here, folks. Why in the heck would this administration, with as much concentration, as much television time, as much airtime on every entity across the board, television, radio, satellite, everything, on you've got to be vaccinated, why would this administration, which has total control over everything that happens to these illegals once they step onto U.S. soil and are doing so illegally, why would they not mandate these illegals be vaccinated? There's only two reasons. There's only two possible reasons. One, they want them to spread the vaccine and believe that they will. And so they really, it doesn't matter if they know they're not COVID positive or that they are. It doesn't matter. If you want them to spread it, just put them out there and believe that they're going to integrate with people and do just that. 
The other one is the scary one. They know it's not real. They're not worried about it. Now, if you believe that is a real possibility, you take that, what I just told you, and spend a little time. We're only with you this morning for another 15 minutes. Spend a little time pondering that. Think about all of the things that would have to align within that parameter, within the context of they really don't think it's real. Then you start asking questions. You'll, you'll come up with hundreds of questions to ask if you believe that it's even, or if you'll even entertain the possibility, just entertain the possibility that they may think at the top levels that this is really not a pandemic-style event that the pandemic was created. It was a narrative that was put out there. All we do here is throw you tidbits to think about, folks. That's something that is out there, whether or not it's true. As far as I'm concerned, it's still to be determined. Hasn't happened, hasn't been confirmed yet that it is, and it certainly hasn't been proven that it is not. But at this point, I would say it is possible. And so there's this law and order thing that we're struggling with across the nation, like we never have before. We haven't heard anything about Portland of late. Portland, Oregon, last year and even the year before, it was on fire every night. Billions of dollars of damage, businesses closed, all kinds of people hurt. One murder happened that I know of. Well, things are back on as a group of about 100 anarchists raged through one Portland neighborhood a few days ago. Cops reportedly didn't even bother to get out of their cars. Some say the inaction is a direct result of confusion over an Oregon police reform law that was passed during the summer, which restricts how they can respond to crowds like this. Think about it. A hundred Anarchists. Those are people that want to destroy everything that's government-related, including that federal courthouse that they went after every night, night after night, this past summer and the summer before. In less than two hours, this group this week did an estimated $500,000 of damage to 35 different locations, including banks, retail stores, coffee shops, and government buildings. Portland Police Bureau officers issued verbal warnings through a megaphone. Boy, those obviously worked well, huh? They only blew $500,000 of damage. <laughs> those who refuse to leave the area are subject to arrest. The warning blared on a loop. The Bureau will investigate crimes and will make arrests either tonight or in the future. Meanwhile, those anarchists, they block streets, smash windows, set off illegal fireworks, lit dumpsters and trash cans on fire, tag buildings with spray-painted messages like kill cops and anarchy means attack. Some group members laid down in front of bureau vehicles to attempt to prevent a police response. Cops believe some people involved in criminal activity were changing clothes to stymie efforts to identify who they are. According to a public statement by Portland Police's Lieutenant Jake Jensen, they did not intervene because Oregon House Bill 2928 
and the restrictions placed on law enforcement in a crowd control environment. Instead, Jensen said, investigators will work to track down those behind the vandalism at a later time. So, let me get this straight. Don't stop them. Don't stop them from rioting and looting and doing, oh, in one night, half a million dollars worth of damage. Yeah, those, those, those companies have insurance. They're going to be okay. Use that mentality and that's okay. <laughs> I don't want to live in a city like that. And that's why Portland is drying up on the vine. I got a little news that just slipped in here and I want to make sure you hear about it. You remember that Chinese tech giant Huawei? They're the ones that have uh, the phone production company and they were blacklisted. Their products are not allowed to be sold in the United States because it's Chinese created. And we were finding out that they had the ability to monitor everybody that had one of those phones, all of the information that was either in or transmitted through those phones. So they're blacklisted here. Well, come to find out that Chinese tech giant, and it is massive in size, Huawei, paid longtime Democratic lobbyist Tony Podesta, the Clinton's buddy, the campaign chairman of Hillary Clinton, Tony Podesta, $500,000 from July to September to lobby the White House, according to a recent government lobbying disclosure report. It's not clear what policies Podesta lobbied on or whom he might have contacted at the White House. According to the disclosure form, it stated that lobbying was for issues related to telecommunication services and impacted trade issues. The disclosure comes at a time when the Biden administration is under close scrutiny for its policies toward Huawei. More importantly, the revelation came less than 30 days after the company's CFO, Ming Wanzhou, was allowed to return to China She could go back after the Department of Justice inked a deal with her. Interesting. She, by the way, was being held in Canada, but we had to release a hold on her for her to go back to China. Now, she's a pretty important person. Why? Well, her father, Ren Jingfi, who was a former Chinese military official, is her dad, and he is the founder of Huawei. In May of 2019, the tech company was put on a trade blacklist by the Trump administration on national security grounds. Do you catch anything kind of makes you want to go, hmm, in that story? Chief Financial Officer CFO, Ming Wanju. Uh... She was allowed to go to China. Yeah, she was being held in Canada. She wasn't here, so we didn't have the ultimate say-so. But Canada wouldn't let her go until the U.S. Department of Justice inked a deal. Why would we ink a deal with anybody or anything having to do with China? Our Department of Justice. Why would we go down, down that road? Um, just making you think, not making an opinion here. And hey, by the way, we haven't talked about, you know the Democrats' wealth tax, uh, 
Have you heard about what it is? Um, let me do this. Instead of me explaining it to you, there are people that that know a whole lot more about stuff than do I. And uh, one of them is the Secretary of the Treasury, former head of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. And so this wealth tax thing, what it is, folks, you pay tax on the profits you make. And in the investment industry, um, in the money industry, what that means is you buy bonds, you sell bonds, you pay taxes on how much you make when you sell them. But now Democrats have targeted something a little bit different. It's called asset appreciation. So, for instance, if you buy a big piece of property, I'm not talking about a house, a residence. I'm talking maybe a, an investment, long-term thing. Hey, that piece of property out there, that 10 acres, I think somebody's going to want to build a small subdivision there someday. So I've got a chance to buy it. Here's what I'm going to do. i got the extra money. I'm just going to buy it and sit on it and hope that somebody comes along and Maybe three, four, five, six, maybe even 10 years. They want to develop something there. I'll be able to sell it to them for more. And if you do, when you sell it and you get that money and that whatever the percentage of it is that's profit above what you paid for it, you pay taxes on that. Now, what this tax they're trying to, and I haven't seen if it's included in Joe's bill that they pushed out this morning. I'll find out before tomorrow's show and tell you. But what they want to do is while it's sitting there and it grows in value, they want you to pay tax on it every year based on the increase in value during that year, whether you sell it or not. So, of course, you know, we're talking about wealthy people. No, 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 not necessarily. I have assets now and I'm not a wealthy person. But I have stuff that's worth money, that is appreciating in value, and they want to come in and tax me on that? To be honest with you, the only way me and most people that find themselves in this, even wealthy people, the only way we can pay the tax, have the money to do it, is to sell the asset. Janet Yellen explained it. Well, um, I think what's under consideration is a proposal that uh, Senator Wyden and the Senate Finance Committee have been looking at that would um, impose um, a tax on unrealized capital gains um, on liquid assets held by extremely wealthy individuals, billionaires. Um, I wouldn't call that a wealth tax, but um, it would help get at uh, capital gains, which um, are an extraordinarily large part of the incomes of the wealthiest individuals. And uh, right now, uh, escape taxation uh, until they're realized and often they're unrealized and at death uh, benefit from a so-called step-up of basis. So it's not a wealth tax, but um, a tax on unrealized capital gains of exceptionally wealthy individuals. Unrealized capital gains. In other words, it's not income yet. <laughs> and they're calling it income tax. Well, it's not income until there's income. And it's no income there until you liquidate it. And you know what? Janet doesn't mention or even think about the fact, I'm sure she did, but uh, a big piece of that that's left is um, what if it depreciates in value? 
What if it goes down in value? Does that mean somebody's going to write me a check for how much money I lose? And you know the obvious answer for that. One final story before we go. Loudoun County, Virginia, that's the place where the critical race theory and all that came up and it's just been devastating. Parents have the right to know and they want to know. They want to be able to look at the curriculum. They want to make sure their kids are not getting taught some evil stuff, racist stuff. So Loudoun County Public Schools says, okay, we'll let you do it. But to do it, here's what you got to do. They're requiring parents to sign a form that is literally a non-disclosure agreement before they can even look at a portion of the district's new curriculum inspired by critical race theory. How about that? (laughs) Nothing's easy when you're talking about political partisanship and thuggery. Nothing comes easy. And if it's worth having, it's worth hurting for, I guess. Thanks so much for being here today. It was a good day. We covered a lot of things. Hope you uh, have some respect, maybe, that you didn't have before for the likes of Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. Back tomorrow, Big Friday. Make sure you're here. And until then, just know this. I don't care who you are, where you are. The best is yet to come. See you tomorrow, folks.